Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. While I am fully aware that this has major switch off factor for everybody, we are going to take a look at the climate change crisis because COP27, as you can hear through all the news bulletins, is taking place in Egypt with all of the leaders there being told that we are running out of time. And I say switch off factor because for everybody, it's just too frightening to comprehend. And as a mother of two, I have to say, I feel utterly terrified at the future that they may be facing. If we think it's scary now with what's going on in the world, when we listen to the stats and the reports of what they say is coming down the line, it just feels huge. And to think that me bringing my keep cup and getting the bus a little bit more often is all I can really do to try and stem the flow. I think that's why the general population turns over from the doom headlines and goes back to their normal life because it feels like there's not very much we can do about it. But we have been world leaders in so many big changes from the plastic bag tariff, for example. Um, Obviously, there's same-sex marriage that we change the world on and and we're leaders in that. But when it comes to real behaviour change, there's the plastic bag tariff and the smoking ban and things we thought we could never do then become normal everyday life. But we do need to see leading from the top and the globe came together so recently with the pandemic and we all lived in ways that we never thought we would and did things we never thought we would all to fight a virus. And now we're not bothering with the same effort and with the same urgency when it comes to the climate crisis. And I don't really understand why. And I think it's a real shame that we didn't take what we learned. We kind of went headlong into the news of the war in Ukraine, then the energy crisis. Now it's all about the cost of living and the economy. And with all of that going on, I think it's really understandable why everyday people would just have apathy and say there's not really very much we can do. And then when you see Elon Musk is paying 44 billion to buy Twitter, when you think of where that money might have gone to, I don't know, look at an alternative to fossil fuels, it does seem like it's worth giving up. So I'd like to get your take on where we stand with the climate crisis. And one of the issues that is being discussed at COP27 is should rich countries pay compensation to vulnerable nations hit by climate change. A June report by 55 vulnerable countries estimated that their combined climate-linked losses over the past two decades totaled over 525 billion euro. So should richer nations go some way in compensating these losses? I want to go to the phones on this one. Dave is on the line in Galway. Dave, you're live on Lunchtime Live here on News Talk. What's your view on this? Good afternoon. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I think we, in the Western societies, we've actually, we can't hide the fact that we, we were, were, were to be blamed for all of this. Um, the Industrial Revolution basically has caused the CO2 to go to the highest levels in, in, in over 2 million years. And the most vulnerable are getting are getting badly affected. Um, so, you know, I was thinking about how to answer your question. You know, you can give people money, but what that's not much much good to them really. If they can't live there, what can they do? So you know, the the best thing that we can do as a society is 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 kind of take it on the chin and say that yeah, we've been to blame. What are we going to do about it? Because if we don't lower down, let's say our emissions, 
these countries are have no chance at all because they're these are very poor countries. They've done nothing in the terms of adding up the CO two themselves, but they can't do much themselves anyhow because they're so low per capita on CO two. They're not causing the damage. So, like the the best thing we can do is fix our own problems, um, which will also fix their problems by reducing and getting off fossil fuels as fast as possible. And obviously, we have to help them to adapt. Because I think that the time has passed now to, to really stop this. People have to realise that where it's, it's damage limitation. I've been working in this area myself for 15 years and these cops have come and gone and every time you see it, it's great and it's it's all talk. You know? I know, it's devastating. So, is it even when you look at the Paris Agreement that was considered to be legally binding when it came to our emissions mm-hmm. and we're just not hitting the target or even talking about that. And then when you hear that Rishi Sunak wasn't even going to go. Now, yes, yeah. things are all over the place in the UK. We get that. But this is just as big an issue. Yeah, well, it's. And, and I remember the Kyoto Protocol in 97. I was only a young lad and I heard about it that time, you know. Um, and really, it's people are were washing these things down. And it, a lot of countries are doing good work. But just the, 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 the amount, what we have to get to is so great. I don't people people don't understand how big I work in the game. I work over in the UK and on a lot of big projects, and we've a, we've a great chance here to do all of this stuff ourselves. But our government are only interested in maybe wind and and everything else is, you know, not even talked about. They talk about, for example, the biogas sector for farmers. The farmers know well all about this, but sure they can't do it unless they get an incentive. Where every other country in Europe gets the incentive. So, you know, we have to, we really have to adapt. And with the war in the Ukraine, it showed that we're very vulnerable anyhow for security of energy supply. It's not just about, oh, we go green and that's great. We don't have our our own energy. So, I mean, you can look at, you look and look at, you're saying about third world countries and all that. If you look at people in Dunleary there, like that is bet on the water. I mean, a half a metre rise of water, that place is uninsurable, therefore un- unlivable. But Dave, I was thinking so, that and one of the arguments that's given is the reason we have this apathy is because our homes aren't in danger. But they are. They I've are. sat in this very seat <laughs> on this very show, listening to caller after caller talking about how flooded their house was and we well, know we're having more extreme weather conditions. It's not just happening in third world countries, it's happening here and now. Cool. Sure, you see, it's like I'm from Galway, like, and you see it there, remember, was it 11 or 10? We had awful bad rain and awful bad cold uh, or ice and the place was underwater, like over near Hedford, down in Loch Grey. I mean, literally, there was houses nearly washed away. But that happens every few years. So like, the big thing I think will force us all to be to understand this is the insurance companies will wake up one day and say, we're not going to insure in this area. And then that then you'll see people change their mind when they can't live in Cove or whatever, like it's these low-lying areas of the country. All right, so Dave, look, stay we, on we the make line. We'll our own changes ourselves because we're going to be getting affected day to day. So. Yeah, and, and we still need to push for change at the top as well. Dave, stay on the line because I want to bring in Nathan. Uh, he's on the line in Cork. Nathan, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's actually... I pose the kind of initial point of um, whilst like it's extremely important not to kind of uh, institute like a blaming game nearly because um, most of the developed nations at the moment, Europe, the Americas and stuff, are actively pushing hard and fast regulation on the pollution sector. While it's slow and at the moment ineffective, we don't know. But if kind of we're talking about footing the bill at the moment, it's a lot of nations such as um, like over 30% nearly 50, sorry, nearly 40 to 50%, I think. I could be completely wrong. I'd have to be taken wrong. 
um, is polluted by developing nations such as China, Indonesia, Brazil, India, and various other nations who are still using coal plants that aren't regulated whatsoever. Now, kind of, um, I forgot the previous caller's name. I do apologise. Not at all. It's Dave. You brought in a, a fantastic point that we can nearly, as developed nations, help them to move off fossil fuels and institute regulations, but it's um, it's it's kind of difficult to do that in a way because obviously they're sovereign nations; they can choose whatever they want to do in terms of their energy sector or their pollution kind of um, initiatives. But yeah, that's essentially the basis of the point. It's, is it really such a blaming game that yeah. we, you know, put the bills? In? And I know what you're saying, and, and I, I was thinking that and any of the big manufacturing nations that the West relies on that do bring about all these pollution issues, but they're driven by the demand in the West who did that to save money in the first place. So the whole thing just goes round and round and round. But I mentioned the pandemic earlier and we really pushed for vaccine equity. So where there were nations that wouldn't have the health system in place that we had that wanted access to vaccinations, that the developed countries help in that. So why aren't we coming together in that way here? That's actually, yeah, the vaccine equity point. Yeah, that's, uh, I've actually never supposed to look at it from that perspective, I suppose. But is is what 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 could be the potential motive for that though? As in, or sorry, the the line of action. Well, look, it's sadly, uh, like as Dave said, together or, you know. it would make you feel ill. We're now at a stage of damage limitation rather than trying to to fix it. We're trying to see how can we mm-hmm. limit the damage further down down the line. But thank you very much for coming on, Nathan. I want to bring in Donal. Donal, you're on the line in Athlone. What are your thoughts on rich countries paying compensation to vulnerable nations hit by climate change? I don't know if it's a fair question to ask. Um, Like the rich countries, as you call them, you can't say that we knew we were destroying the uh, you know, with CO2 and all this. When we were doing it, we have nearly 300 years of industrial revolution. And now there's a quick change being asked and everyone is protecting their own. I, You know, to give um, poorer countries money, there would be conditions on that money. And you'd have to ask, first of all, where's that money coming from? Is it being printed, which is causing the inflation in the world? There's a perfect storm out there now, and it may not be, unfortunately, we have no choice, but it may not be the best time in the world to be trying to do something like that. All economies are suffering now, and they're going to continue to suffer because we're in debt. But, you know, you can't blame Germany for reopening its coal plants because they're running out of energy. The United States are building coal plants for energy. China is building coal fire power plants bigger than loud. They're building them now. And we're talking about being in a global village. You know, like um, the air here is not going to get as hot if we do it. But China can do it. The United States can do it. Germany can do it. There's no talk at all about nuclear energy, which is the cleanest energy of the lot. And by now, safer than crossing the road. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying, Donald, especially about it being a blame game. But these are items that need to be looked at. How will the issues 
be funded and, and who is going to fund it? I mean, already we're coming up against so many blocks with immigrants and people, countries are running out of space to house them. And when we look decades down the line, we're going to have mass migration on a much larger scale. So I suppose it is just a sad fact that we are going to have a, have to look at where this funding will take place and who's going to foot those inevitable bills. Donald, thank you much for, for coming on. I, I want to move on to Harriet on the line in Dublin. Harriet, I believe you've just returned from Indonesia and you saw the kind of damage climate change can do up close. Yeah, we, we flew in at six o'clock this morning and we were on a two, the charity took us four TY students on an environmental program for them to experience frontline climate change and what we are passionate about, plastic pollution. Um, and, you know, if you take it to the a slightly different note in that say the Chitram River is fizzing, not only is it choked, literally choked with plastic and poison, it's fizzing because of all the poison that's still being pumped out from the factories. So if if this country, for example, along with most European countries and cities, if they could stop you know, buying fast fashion, um, it would it would make a, an actually big difference because we're looking at a river that's fizzing with poison and because there is no refuse system, the government don't give them a refuse system in Indonesia. So they still just throw all plastic from tiny plastic sachets to everything because that's what their parents parents did and it was all biodegradable then you know we we're kind of we're 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 empowering the big companies so we're buying stuff from all the fast fashion shops and uh people in indonesia are still washing in this water whilst it's fizzing and they're getting rashes that can lead to cancer if it's not treated in time um, if I think of the Gili Islands, where we went and did coral propagation and worked with the local schools there, there was just dead coral from coral bleaching. And Harriet, this is what makes, I think, people almost weary. I mean, there some of us are cleaning out our plastic and putting it in the green bin and, and hoping that it's all being remade into something else. And sometimes it feels like it's a bit of a farce, you know, that there's nothing we can do at this point. It's just too mammoth a task. What did, would you say to that and, and, and how important hope still is at the centre of this? Oh, if it, honestly, if you don't have hope, you may as well give up. I mean, as a charity, we, we thrive on positivity because, you know, if you just turn around and bury your head in the sand, then, well, that's it. The planet is over. And as you say, you have two children. It's their future. Um, I, I know Flossie who will be on soon. She's she thinks about she'd like to see a future with children. So, you know, it's really important to be positive and we do what you can. You said you have your keep cup um, and, you know, you're doing your bits you can. It's all about, you know, no one's telling everyone stop flying, but do everything less. Because if we turn around and tell everyone to stop flying, stop eating meat, stop, you know, stop, stop, stop. It, it, people just get too depressing. But if you do what you can, and as much as you can, and reduce, you know, so my example for today is shopping in fast fashion shops. Just shop less and use charity shops or do swap shops. That's going to eventually pass the message down the line that the big fast fashion guys have got to stop doing what they're doing in the different countries like Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, 
Um, and the people who are suffering frontline climate change will hopefully, you know, get a bit of relief and the Chittorum River will eventually clean itself. Yeah. And we have seen time after time that grassroots and small changes can build up to make big changes and push for real change. So you're right. It, it isn't necessarily too late. And that's what we're hearing even from the stats and the reports. Harriet, could I have a chat to Flossie perhaps? Yeah, I think she's on the line now. I think she is next. Lovely. We'll stay on the line there, Harriet. Flossie, um, you're live on, on Lunchtime Live. You just travelled back from Indonesia with your mum. You're in transition year, is that right? Yeah, and I'm incredibly jet lagged. <laughs> Thank you so much for staying up and trying to speak coherently live on the radio for us, Flossie. Can I ask you what it's like being a teenager growing up at a time like this with these kind of reports and realities? Well, honestly, it's quite stressful. It's almost like a feeling that our future seems stolen because I know when my mum would have been growing up, it wouldn't have been as big of a thing. Like People knew that there was a thing of climate change, but it wasn't known as globally as it is now. And now it really is being emphasised a lot more and we're all seeing it a lot more. Um, and <laughs> during the summer, we saw a lot of terrible crises happening all over the world in the global south. So it really is quite stressful to see it all happening. And Flossie, are you the famous beach cleaner, the the, the cleaner plastic Flossie? That's whatever I, I think of when I hear your name. Yeah, that's me, Flossie, the beach cleaner and Flossie the actress. I don't know if that's your official title. That's what I'm I'm giving you. And I think that's incredible that you've been motivated to actually do something. And I said it to your mom. I think sometimes we think that small actions aren't going to amount to anything. But they are, aren't they? Well, if we all take small actions, eventually they will amount to something and they will send messages to people. How do you feel about the leaders coming together? How much faith and confidence do you have in them that they are going to push for real and lasting change? Well, I'm an optimist. I'd like to think that they are actually going to do it. But as we've all discovered, COP27 is kind of becoming more of a greenwashing event than anything else. So what I believe has to happen is we need to have more people putting pressure on the government because that's the only way we're going to get changed. The people in power will make a difference, but they we ha- they have to see that we all care and we all actually want change. How did it feel to be in Indonesia? Because, I mean, while I discussed with another caller there a moment ago, we are experiencing uh, extreme weather conditions, flooding of houses and other effects of the climate crisis here in Ireland. You got to see it in its more raw form on your trip. What was that experience like? Uh... A lot of it was a bit disheartening. Like at one on the first day we arrived, we visited what I personally thought was one of like one of the biggest dumps in Jakarta. Turns out it was like one of the smallest dumps in Jakarta. Um, but it was literally like four mountains of rubbish, and there were people living on it with their house made of rubbish, and it was absolutely heartbreaking to see. But at the same time, the trip altogether was really inspiring because. We worked with so many different conservation trusts. We met so many people out there who, although they are living in the worst conditions that we couldn't even imagine, they're positive and they are still doing what they can to solve it and trying their best to help people. I know it's incredible to witness that kind of spirit, isn't it? Well, look, thank you so much, particularly as you've said, you're absolutely jet lagged to Harriet and to Flossie. Thank you very much for coming on.
I want to come to some of your texts on this, which are absolutely flying in to 53106. It is at a cost of 30 cents. You can also call us 1-800-453-106 or email lunchtimelive at newstalk.com. We are talking about the climate crisis. Tracy says all countries should be paying the countries with the rainforest a lot of money not to cut them down. If they can make money that way, they won't cut it down at the rate it is being cut. That is a very simple thing. Another says load of nonsense. Climate change was going to happen anyway. If we're so concerned, we can cut down on buying stupid Halloween decorations, too much Christmas presents, etc, etc. Well, I think that is happening with so many people and that is part of the discussion that we need to shop less, reduce, reuse, recycle. That's been a message that's been out for for a long time and I hope is becoming part of people's every day. John Lynch says in Ireland agriculture is responsible for 35% of greenhouse gases. Why in the name of God is the dairy herd allowed to increase by 2% every year? Because John there isn't an incentive for them to not do that and that's what we need our leaders to start to bring about. We need an alternative we need funding in that area. We hear a lot about the loss of jobs. We don't ever hear enough about the jobs that could be made trying to fight against climate change and to live more sustainably. We are climate laggards, says another. We are in the fight of our lives and we are losing. Very depressing, isn't it, Dee, in Kerry? Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We have been talking about the climate crisis, particularly as... COP27 is taking place. Uh, Many saying it's just going to be greenwashing and leaders looking like they're doing something. And we've been asking, should richer countries compensate those who are bearing the brunt of the crisis? And also asking on an individual level, what can we do? And if we feel like our changes or behaviours don't really add up to stem the flow of what is going on. Rob says government leaders assume wrongly that people will not take a financial hit to help with the climate crisis. They are more afraid of losing votes than losing our planet. And Sarah says rich nations should pay for loss and damages. Climate change is the emergency of the century. It's very frustrating what's going on in the world. Species extinction, loss of human life and not putting indigenous people first. The climate migration the world will experience will be so much bigger than the war in Ukraine. We could have climate migrants in Ireland. Definitely something I touched on earlier, Sarah. I completely agree. I want to bring in psychologist Dr. Owen Galvin. Owen, you're welcome to Lunchtime Live here on News Talk. Hi, Claire. Good to be back. You are the Vice Chair and Secretary of the Psychological Society of Ireland's Special Interest Group on Addressing the Environmental and Climate Crisis. It's a long title, but tell me a little about the work you're doing there. So that group has been set up to uh, bring into uh, public attention the psychological factors that might be involved in the reasons why we do or don't respond to the climate crisis. And I have made an assumption, and I know it's it's correct, that there is a certain amount of climate apathy out there. Um, but the texts that we're getting through here, and I know that's a, a percentage, um, a small percentage perhaps of the overall country necessarily. I'm getting, people want action. People want to do something. They want to feel like we're making change, but they don't know where to start. Is that something you're discovering? Certainly is. And if you if you look at the 
uh, survey research coming out over the last couple of years, uh, we find very high proportions of the population, 70, 80%, 90% sometimes expressing concern and anxiety, sometimes very high levels of concern and anxiety about the climate crisis. And we also can see that behavioural action, or behavioural change is really challenging for people. So there's lots of things that make it very difficult for people to make the quite substantial changes. Um, and if you think about the kind of um, the difficulties we're all facing, we're all really knitted in together into a society and a culture uh, and an economy that is keeping the climate crisis moving towards even more and more dangerous spaces. And it's very, very difficult for any one of us to do anything to pop out of that and suddenly make it all change. We can't. So we, we really need a, a very high level of leadership uh, to make it easier for people to make different choices and the right choices, um, to change the way businesses work, to change the way financing work, works, to change policies, to change the way we heat our homes. All of these things, really, really significant deep um, systems changes are needed. Um, and w one of the dilemmas is that if we keep looking inside the minds of the individuals, and it's not to say that there isn't anything interesting in there, there are um, lots of interesting things about what's happening and why people do or don't attend to the climate crisis. We miss probably the bigger piece of the picture. <clears throat> and I think COVID was an extraordinary lesson for us. Um, so some of the things that you might point at uh, in terms of the climate crisis would be things like people becoming anxious when they hear about it and then they become numb to the message so they disconnect and disattend to it or things like the bystander effect where we don't see a lot of emergency reactions from others so we assume that everything's fine. Those variables while valid and real didn't preclude anyone responding to the COVID crisis and the reason was that we had this really high level leadership move from the government, a big push on social change with very clear messaging and we just moved in the direction and we did it collectively and actually you could say that the messaging, the PR, the, the leadership during the COVID crisis um, was brilliant, you know, if we think about how quickly we, we shifted everything. It's like we haven't quite learned that lesson that we need to apply the same kinds of principles in our need to change around the climate crisis. Yeah, I just don't really understand why that's not happen happening on the same global scale. I, I, I mean, we had even instructions on how to wash your hands. We went that basic on it. Do you think it's because the fight against climate change is not quite as clear cut? as Absolutely. fighting the virus. Yeah, so if you think that COVID was a threat to the system that we all live in, our economic system, our social system, climate change is caused by our system. So it's a really different challenge. So what we can learn from our response to COVID is that we can make significant changes in a relatively short period of time with the right kind of leadership and support through government. We can do that. Uh, what's different, though, is that the nature of the problem requires a much, much different kind of levels of change. So it's not just a couple of small behavioural changes that are relatively easy to learn to use. We're, we're talking about restructuring entire economies, uh, restructuring how we travel, how we heat our homes. Pretty much everything we do has to get restructured through the prism of reducing emissions and restoring biodiversity. But if we hold those two principles in mind, reducing emissions and restoring biodiversity, and everything that gets done goes through those prisms, that's one way of clarifying what is a very complex set of challenges for us. And we need that leadership from the top down, though, 
don't we? Because, I mean, look, if you even if you think back to Golfgate, we needed to know that our leaders were doing what they expected us to be doing. And when they weren't, they were held to account. And that's not happening here either. Absolutely. And, and not only leadership from government, but in particular from the wealthiest people in the world. So if we think that 50% of all climate emissions come from the wealthiest 10% of people on the planet. Um, so things like you know, flying around in a private jet. Those are signals by very prominent people that symbolize a kind of uh, aspired to lifestyle that is incredibly damaging and also a disregard for the damage. And we we really do need to turn um, what we value uh, towards a different kind of set of values so that government uh, displays behavior that is consistent with restoring biodiversity and protecting the, the climate and all that that entails for future generations and that all people of prominence can symbolize that in some way or another. And there's, there's, a big, there's a big ask in that. People have to give up on things. We all have to give up on things, I think, in this. Yeah, unfortunately, we do. Dr. Owen Gallivan from the Psychological Society of Ireland, thank you very much for coming on. And I do think if we had seen our transport system moved to electric away from fossil fuels, I know some of them are, I think that would send a very clear message if we saw investment in more sustainable ways of farming, that would encourage us to know that it was being taken seriously. I was even thinking driving in the other day in the dark um what what if every second streetlight where safe to do so was turned off? I think that would encourage people to then be a bit more conscious of their own behaviour. But it can't just be down to the individual with the leaders then greenwashing, making plans that they then don't stick to. Donal has texted in. He says, we are trying to run before we walk. We are... St- Stopping people burning turf, shut all our peat power stations, yet the only thing that keeps the light on in the country is burning Colombian coal by the metric ton in Money Point Power Station. The whole thing is a farce. And yes, as Dr Owen Gallivan alluded to, the system is certainly broken. And there's no point, says another, in sending billions to third world countries for corrupt politicians and government officials to squirrel away in their Swiss bank accounts. We have to be realistic. The debate as to whether mankind has or hasn't affected climate change is over. We need to start investing in the inevitable devastation that is to come. That is from Stephen in County Offaly. I have Connell on the line in Donegal. Connell, you're welcome to Lunchtime Live here on News Talk. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think the, the developed world, you know, that we're all part of caused the climate change to these people that have never caused it, like in Somalia and Ethiopia and Kenya. And we see our own agencies on every day, Concern, Goal, Throckera, trying to raise funds for to alleviate this hardship that's caused by climate change. So there needs to be immediately put in place a levy on, on on fossil fuels, which is in everything we do and everything we not alone oil, but in gas and cars and everything and steel and concrete and everything to have emergency funding available because these climate issues are going to rise very often. To have plenty of emergency funding available to tackle the hardships that's caused in these areas where people have caused it the least because we owe it to them. It's like we got something from them and we have to pay it back, you know. And would the money be better spent in other ways, though, Connell, trying to alleviate rather than compensating in that way? Because we're all victims of climate change and the yeah, climate well, crisis. We all know, I mean, we all know that Ethiopia and those areas have the best sun and solar that you can imagine. 
for making for making electricity and starting off with that, and yet you know they they, they don't even have power in Africa, you know. And here in this country, I mean, the renewable energy, if you look at it last night, for instance, we had no place to use our power because we have no transmission lines from where wind is generated in the west of Ireland, in the northwest, to take it to Dublin where it's needed because we failed to build these transmission lines, which we should have built because we built motorways to to, to carry our, our cars, but we failed to build transmission lines to carry electricity. And the second thing is we need to start making using hydrogen-powered buses for public transport in the whole country and making our own green hydrogen right now when we have this surplus electricity and not wasting it, rather than talking about 10 or 20 years down, the road, we're going to do all this offshore, we're going to have all this surplus power, we're going to make green hydrogen. That's too far away. I mean, there's actions needed to be taken just right now to do these things. And I mean, there's hydrogen buses being made by Wright Bus in Ballymena and there's some of them in Dublin, but... But we must roll out that much more that these kind of buses will be all over the country in public transport and they'll be running on the hour that, that people will leave their cars at home. And there's, 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 but but the, the poor people of the world that's, that's suffering so much, we have to address that immediately. Like, and yeah. it's not fair to the agencies like Trucker, Gold, Concern, having all the work to do. There should be adequate funding there from a levy on the whole industry throughout the whole world because... I mean, some of the, the fossil fuel companies made made a hundred billion in the last three months of profit. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to to reconcile with those figures. Connell, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, we have Charlie who was texted in saying, "What about social networking carbon footprint? Do people realise how much electrical power those data centres owned by tech companies use to run the algorithms that work in the background when we use social networks?" Yeah, and I mean that is something that has been discussed time and time again: the data centres and the energy and 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 what can be done. And I just think we need to. Be careful about the judgment and the blame because that was such a part of the pandemic and who was doing what and who wasn't doing what. And and, and that's the same. And yes, it's important to call out bad behaviour and where cuts can be made. But this is about coming together and moving to actually make change, just standing and pointing and saying, what about that? And what about that? And what about that? Doesn't really get us anywhere. And I think as a nation, we need to get more engaged in what we want from our leaders. I think at the time of election, if somebody knocked on our door, we'd say, I want environment to be top of the agenda, but we wouldn't know exactly what we wanted. And now we need to get more educated and ask for something a little bit more concrete. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.